Hello and welcome to this episode of the Keeping the Peace podcast with me, Alexis Powell Howard. Today I'm thrilled to be joined by Dr Ian Hesketh. Ian is the wellbeing lead at the UK College of Policing and the senior responsible owner for the National Police Wellbeing Service in the UK. He also supports the National Forum for Health and Wellbeing at Manchester University Alliance Business School and he's an honorary fellow at Durham University Business School as well as a visiting fellow at the Open University Business School. He holds a PhD in management and social psychology and having been a police officer for 30 years he's passionate about well-being and using research and evidence-based interventions to support police officers and staff. I hope you enjoy this conversation. You're listening to the Keeping the Peace podcast, produced in collaboration between Oscar Kilo, the National Police Wellbeing Service, and Fortis Therapy and Training. So um, I'm Ian Hesketh, uh, employed by the College of Policing currently, and I'm the uh, head of the National Police Wellbeing Service. And I have the role of SRO, which is Senior Responsible Owner. Uh, that means I'm sort of responsible for the day-to-day running, uh, the financials and things like that. Uh, what projects we undertake, uh, but my passion is really about um, research. So I was a police officer for 30 years before uh, joining the College of Policing, who actually was on secondment with them uh, prior to uh, prior to a full-time role with them. Um, and I, I set up the um, National Police Wellbeing Service together with Andy Rhodes, who at that time was the Chief Constable of Lancashire, but probably more importantly was the... Uh, what what is now the National Police Chiefs Council lead for um, well-being, which was a relatively greenfield site at the time. It, it, it attached itself to the workforce directorate, um, and Andy ran the uh, well-being offshoot of that, which uh, was really good because it enabled us to more or less set everything up from scratch, mm-hmm. uh, which is really good with uh, sort of policing uh, interventions. Um, and we've been doing it ever since. I think the launch was in 2019, probably started working on some of the themes around um, 2015. Um, prior to that, I did a, a PhD at, at Lancaster University, uh, studied under a, a great chap called Professor Sir Kerry Cooper, mm. who was uh, probably one of the leading voices in everything that's well-being in the workplace. Mm. And, and Kerry and I still work together now on the um, National Wellbeing Forum, which is a forum of about I think it's about 40 odd businesses on it, which is based out of Alliance Manchester Business School at Manchester University. And uh, we look at the wellbeing challenges to industry as part of that. And I, I think many of those challenges are exactly the same as what we, we have in policing. Well, um, yeah, definitely. I think it's interesting, isn't it? Because I mean, I, we both kind of work in, a, in the wellbeing field, but it's interesting to see how much it's developed over time because I think even in 2015, it was it was very much in its infancy, wasn't it? Even the language around it, people understanding what it really means. Still now, in certain industries, not there's not that much clarity. I, I, I remember you you were out there, Alexis. I remember really well going into the uh, Assistant Chief Constable's office at Lancashire, and uh, Kerry and I were doing some studying on uh, resilience. Then resilience, uh, how, how people could be resilient, whether you could train it, and we were doing uh, a big piece of research. And we wanted Lancashire to um, to join in with it. So I went into the office of the Assistant Chief Constable at the time. I'll, I'll spare his blushes, but it was, <laughs> but it was a heat. And uh, he had a big leather Chesterfield in his office and we sat down and discussed it. 
uh, I sort of listed all the benefits around, uh, you know, about officer safety, officer well-being, you know, people enjoying the work, getting meaning and purpose from it, you know, viewing things probably slightly different, and then all all other benefits that we, we now know are, are established in stone that uh, good well-being brings in policing. And uh, he, he rocked back on his chair at the end of it, and he said, "Well, he said I'll go with it, but." Um, he said, I cannot ever see myself stood on a stage talking about well-being. Can we call it something else? I went, well, not really. <laughs> just, like what? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, like what? Like, so um, I don't think it was just quite macho enough for him at the time. Mm. But, um, but I mean, that's that's literally under 10 years ago. So I, it just goes to show how quickly policing's moved on with, the, yeah. with this. And, and really, um, I mean, you won't catch me. Uh, not really shouting from the rooftops about the benefits, but I think it's probably one of the areas where you can have more most benefit for any business, really, not only policing. Well, it's a whole cultural shift, isn't it? And I think, you know, working in businesses, I see that culture take, it does take time because you try, you've try you got to get the engagement, you've got to get the language right, you've got to get people to understand the benefits. And, you know, in businesses, it's the bottom line, isn't it, about what, what's, you know, what's the, what's the bottom line going to show me in terms of being able to make these improvements. I think in policing, the cultural aspect of it is massive because of the expectations, because of the way that things used to be managed, you know, the kind of debriefing at the bar, you know, all that stuff that there were, there were ways people were doing things, not necessarily helpful ways, but they were trying to find ways to be able to cope, I think. Yeah, I, I think you're right there. And and you mentioned that the sort of debriefing at the bars and that, and, and that sort of thing uh, definitely went on during my career. I mean, I, I, I joined in the late 80s. Um, and that was de that was definitely the decompression. But the period of austerity sort of all saw that leave, to be fair, because a lot of like police station bars and snooker rooms and, and police stations themselves closed. Lots of canteens closed. Um, you know, officers and staff members were then going out to shops and basically eating a sandwich in the cars and things like that. And so that 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 place or um location where you could actually get together maybe halfway through a shift or after a big job and sort of decompress you know we we have the demobilizing diffusing elements of the emergency services trauma intervention program on the national well-being service now which really looks at how we do how we do that in modern society and, and culturally of course it needed to go on um, uh, going and, and, and drinking is not the answer to debriefing everything, but it, it, it was the sort of uh, tool of choice, I, I think, at that time. Yeah, and I think so. I mean, we know from well-being, if you look, at, just look at even the basics around the five ways of well-being, relationships and is is important. That social interaction is really important, isn't it? And and having that opportunity to gather somewhere, it's, it's almost like by making things, breaking things right down to just the, the kind of tasks of the job, you lose all of that support mechanism that's there. Yeah, yeah. I, I think what it what it made everything was, um, and, and tech came along roughly the same time. Uh, and went side by side the austerity. So as as things like uh, that social interaction went down and and people uh, spoke about things, you had the, the instances of tech coming up. So things like um, centralized control rooms. You know, the, the, um, previously that the control room was usually uh, some uh, of your more um, experienced officers and staff members in a control room in the police station in the area that you worked in. And they could direct activity. They knew everybody in person. 
they work with the same shift you know that social social function was there that that solidarity they knew the area as well uh, map, mapping and things like that were, weren't as well established so things like like google earth and uh, you know like the um geofencing and things like that weren't in place at that time however the the officers and staff members that, that did the communications and really knew the area well and they knew the officers well they knew who had who had experience they knew who didn't you know they knew officers that would be good at certain things and others that may not be and, and that sort of uh, th that was predominant in the culture at that time and, and others many bad things that existed but in in terms of well-being there's that natural yeah. So, sort of um, dynamic there and uh, supervision levels were far better as well so the austerity measures actually drove supervision ratios down they put control rooms in centralized areas with the electronically managed by uh, like uh, autonomous people that officers and staff members may not have even spoken to before that are directing them to like high-risk jobs you mm. know where they, they may face vulnerability violence or or, or combinations and I think that sort of um, that colleague relationships, you know, you mentioned relationships as well as one of the sort of uh, pillars of well-being. Mm -hmm. I think that may have uh, suffered over time, but I think now as we we enter a period of what what's called uplift, where officer numbers are starting to rise again, um, and and things are starting to be thought through, and hopefully some of the work that we've done around the National Wellbeing Service highlights that. Mm -hmm. where people are now sort of realizing that uh, officers and staff need that social interaction they need those relationships they need that engagement with the colleagues as, as well as the public because it's really important when they start to figure out the meaning and purpose in the work definitely absolutely when you <coughs> excuse me when you look at the reason why you went into this kind of um arena in the first place is is that purely based on what you could see was happening in policing and actually recognizing there was something that could be proactively done or was it about experiences that you'd had personally about working in that um at that time uh do you know i the moment in time i think was um i just finished um an mba again up at lancaster so probably through education i think mm -hmm. and uh, sort of the mba is a good sort of uh, way of looking at all aspects of business and I've never really been exposed to things like um, finance, financing operations, management, you know, uh, engagement, marketing, things like that you wouldn't get in your normal experience as a police officer. So I was quite fascinated with them and some of the human behaviours, I, I found myself really interested in that, how, how, how the psychology of it works and how the psychology of especially police officers and what they do and what they see, you know, that connectedness um and how they sort of establish things it just fascinated me and then uh, I, I met up with the carey and uh, and carey sort of said well well why don't you why don't we dig deeper into it um mm -hmm. and and that eventually became the phd uh and and probably that drove activity more than more than anything i'd i'd sort of not had, i don't have a sheltered life but i'd not really been exposed to very much uh, stuff like that in no but i guess i guess you know what you know in the sector you're in don't you and i think yes. that's why like yeah. things like you were saying about the um the forum that you that you were part of having that cross i suppose it's cross contamination or whatever you want to call it where you, you're picking up ideas from different sectors because that's something i'm i'm really fascinated by we do a lot of work in schools we do a lot of work with policing a lot of work in businesses um and 
you know at the end of the day it's all people based isn't it it's all about creating that environment for people to be able to thrive and do a really good job and be um connected to what they're doing and and as you say that purpose and what's driving them forward and sharing those ideas must give you a whole wealth of creativity you know um in in thinking about what you want to put into the service yeah i think i think some of it is is sort of knowing how you behave the way you do i mean i've just had a great conversation with andy rhodes about uh transference and counter transference yeah i love that in the in the interactions with both public and, and each other and sort of where you where you draw your views or your belief system comes from um and and also what threatens that we, we were talking about what erodes it so you know we we look at things like uh sleep and i know you've interviewed yvonne taylor who, who works with us as well and uh, you know when you look at what's behind sleep and fatigue you know emotional labor psychological detachment thing, things like that without over theorizing everything of course you start to realize what why some things end up the way they do mm-hmm. especially when we make mistakes and we make plenty of them but we've given opportunity to make plenty of mistakes mm-hmm. in policing because of the sort of um i don't know the, the sort of nature of the incidents we deal with you know the the high impact the majority of the time nobody rings us up to say we i'm having a great day thanks, you know, thanks for being <laughs> well that would be nice yeah, wouldn't it yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> You know, this they are sort of volatile situations. Yeah. I mean, that that I mean that's uh, the George Casey research with volatility, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity. That I mean that that describes the policing world wonderfully. I think. Yeah, absolutely. So, and I and I think from having trained lots of um, different departments in policing, including you know the people who were in the contact centre and the dispatchers through to protecting vulnerable people units, and you know people don't the people don't know often what they're walking into. And I think that's the bit about, you know, finding some mechanisms to be able to keep doing that continuously every day. And, yeah. you know, I think part of well-being, what you're doing with um, the, the National Police Wellbeing Service is looking at the context of those individuals. You know, they're not robots, they're not walking in without their own experiences, their own triggers, their own traumas potentially as well. You know, sometimes people, in my experience anyway, become officers or members of staff because of what they've experienced in the past. So so there's a lots of different um, angles, I suppose, when you're looking at it from a human perspective, isn't there? Well, I think there's a lot going on and there's you've got sort of two polar sides to it whether you you know you like cool hand luke where you walk into something it's like kicking off big time and you just stand and observe like <laughs> nothing's happening and then conversely i've sort of people who are that wound up they've flipping running around with their, their pants on fire aren't they yeah and it's sort of drawing that happy medium because the the first one the laissez-faire approach to it you've got to be really careful though because you you can then become really vulnerable and 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 similarly if you're on the higher level of the uh running around all nervous and you, you you're just panicking your way through the incident that that's going to drain you very very quickly you know those that those really high emotionally charged things you can't stay in that environment for too long mm-hmm. uh but but conversely being too laid back uh that that can catch you out as well if you're not careful you know yeah, but also some of that, you know, sometimes people being laid back is actually an, an avoidance tactic, isn't it, to avoid what's going on. So, yes, you might be fairly Teflon coated, seem to be fairly Teflon coated, but at some point it, yeah. it can catch up with you. Yeah, and, and I think one of the messages we are looking at in terms of the um, Oscar Kilo work, 
and that, that's a bit complicated. And the College of Police and National Police Wellbeing Service, Oscar Keeler. Uh, guess what, folks? It's all the same thing. Uh, <laughs> Just um, like to have lots of names. Yeah. Well, it, 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 it's sort of our um, our, our search for identity, I suppose. <laughs> So the Oscar Kilo logo, of course, it looks like a, sh a Chevron and OK seems to be a great message. And it certainly lent itself very nicely for Gary Bottrell's world of Oscar Kilo 9 as well. So oh, yeah, definitely. That's all worked well. And then we had sort of a debate whether we were actually a national police wellbeing service. Hence, we came from there. And of course, we sit under the College of Policing. So we've got yet another subgroup, subtitle. Uh, so it, it's quite so it's quite a complicated terrain, really. But uh it seems to work well now, and I think one of our challenges for this year is to make sure that everybody knows that the National Service is part of the College of Policing. It's an arm of it. Um, the work we do is part of the national effort um, to improve policing, to provide guidelines, best practice, etc. So that, that part of it seems to work in pretty well, I think. And it's important, isn't it, it's position to be in that place as well, because you don't want it to be our well-being as a kind of add-on service to what's going on across yeah. the country, you know. So I think that, you know, maybe it is about that finding that identity and that footing, but actually it's about it being representative of all of those different aspects of policing and um, and being able to influence across the whole force, not just because yeah. I know in my experience, the forces all have their own kind of way of doing things and, you know, it's almost like they're their own entities. Um, but I think what you do really well, um, Oscar Kilo and however we're going to, however we're going to name it, um, but you, you're, you're providing a really kind of um, evidence-based approach to the themes that you're hearing in the research you do and in the surveys you do and, and being able to kind of make sure that everything you put in place is is meaningful and has that purpose that is you know is going to have that impact on officers and members of staff as well across the country yeah i, I agree entirely and, uh, and on that subject you know th this is where we, we absolutely have to be evidence-based uh, and we draw our evidence now from two extremely good sources we have the blue light wellbeing framework which is in its second iteration now so that includes the operation hampshire stuff which i know you've spoke to Dave yeah. as well uh which looks at um unfortunately assaults on staff and officers mm -hmm. uh, we we also include occupational health standards now within the second edition of the blue light wellbeing framework so let's call lizzie's and the team are, are leading on that and looking out occupational health can address some of the issues that are quite challenging to the service and then, apart from the blue light wellbeing framework, we also have the uh, Durham University annual wellbeing survey, which provides us with some absolutely superb stuff. I've, I've just been reading the; um, it's now the third third um, wave we've done of that, and of course now we're starting to get a rich data set that we can can compare to uh, previous ones. We can see directions of travel. Uh, we can look at lots of different theoretical things to see what's going on for people we can look at relationships between for example like demographics like uh, age of age of officer staff member location things like that and, and tally that up with um, things like uh, stress anxiety fatigue you know the psychological detachment switch, switching off after work that sort of thing and and that gives us um, a really good way of um, both evidence-based and stuff that we do in terms of interventions and, and to start, start to inform our our work that we're looking at over the horizon. So at the moment, we're, we're concerned with stuff with the uh, police covenant, which again is looking at sort of how we deal with families, 
how we deal with uh, grievance um, and lo lots of other different things within the uh, policing arena, things that we've not really given much consideration to before. They've just been on the horizon, but we, we've not had a, a real good look at them. And they're yeah. important, especially to new recruits. They're, they're really important, you know, what, what their families um, thinking about things, you know, what, 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 what's safe to pass on to their uh, partners, what's safe to pass on to the children, you know, and they obviously with the advent of social media, you know, um, the kids aren't watching BBC and Sky News now, they're on TikTok and Snapchat. So, you know, there's some education that needs to go through there and probably some of our more mature officers need to understand that as well. Uh, and, and the challenges that, that they present. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think that more targeted approach really, you, 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 and some of that is about tackling those boundaries in those roles, isn't it? And the expectations and being clearer about them. Whereas I think before, you know, especially new recruits coming in, there was a sense of them kind of figuring this, some of this stuff out. And I know for clients I've worked with who have been uh, relatively new recruits, they haven't known enough almost to be in that position you know and, and and what they're experiencing as you said through social media and in their education and you know just in terms of generally growing up is very different to how it was 20 30 years ago yeah. um and it, it's a, it's i guess part of that research is adapting what you're offering and what you're researching depending on what's coming through with the new trends you know and i'm sure that covid at some point will come into that as well in in, well, in influencing what you're doing probably already is we, we, we've seen the, um, I mean, the impact of COVID is like incredible. And I mentioned before the um, Durham survey, you know, we we got our our data sets are right across the COVID span. So our, our first one was pre-COVID in 2019. We managed to get the the, the survey out uh, before any, any mention of COVID. The second wave was smack bang in the middle of it. And then the third wave, we've just, we, we, gathered the data just as we're coming out of it or, or some was coming out of it so what we, what we what you can see there is how officers and and staff have d dealt with things quite differently in in terms of like working from home uh in terms of looking after dependents in terms of what risks they're going to take in terms of isolating shielding you know we've got we've got a whole new language now yeah around covid and um Although we're only just sort of taking our our masks off, and I know masks is a good thing for you, Alexis. I remember <laughs> many many years ago going and speaking with you on stage, and you you had a you had a lot of masks there. I did I did had all display? <laughs> are, are you still doing that? And I, yeah, yeah, um, we still do. Yeah, still use yeah. it in therapy. Yeah. So yeah. and 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 again, that's that's another thing because, uh, like we say, we're only just getting back to face to face meetings where it's safe to go to conferences, for example. Or speak to a, a larger audience than than we we do have online, so but getting back to that face to face is uh, is is another interesting dynamic and how people feel about that. Returning back to the workplace as well. Some some people have like been at home for the best part of two years. Yeah. And we, we have the dynamic as well of um, our younger officers uh, that have joined during COVID and have 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 had very little experience in terms of like policing large-scale events or a nighttime economy yeah, it's, it's interesting not, isn't it yeah, yeah. not actually <clears throat> having seen it actually so they, they've come they've come through their initial period of training without having done any of that uh, through no fault of their own by the way mm. uh, but uh, it must be very strange when it sort of all opens up 
again and then they're suddenly dealing with a whole different area of policing to, to yeah. what they've done for the last maybe year and a half mm. uh, and, and there's a lot of that now as well uh, so it, yeah so it's, it's, i guess it's it's the, the, the yeah it's absolutely keeping keeping ahead of of all uh, you know very much listening to the workforce isn't it and being able to kind of put those things in place that you know will be helpful and i know um obviously we've been um liaising on the film that you've done at Oscar Kilo which I don't know if you want to say a bit about that because I think it's an incredibly powerful piece of, of film that will really impact on on, yeah. on, on a lot of officers and police staff. Yeah so the, the film was uh, we commissioned it a, a, oh, over a year ago now in fact we commissioned it pre-Covid and and uh, incurred some some ch extra charges for having to film during Covid so uh, <laughs> uh, for um actors having uh, screening and things like that uh, so yeah um and then uh, we, we had to uh, pair to section some areas off where we were filming to make them covid secure and things like that so yeah that wasn't without its challenge but the, the film purpose is, is absolutely uh, brilliant that it, it tracks the um the career of uh, the the actor we who's called alfie in it and, and his relationship with his tutor con uh, journey and um, it opens up with Alfie um, as a young child experiencing uh, adverse childhood experiences. His, uh, his, his mother is clearly subjected to domestic abuse. Uh, and, then it, and then it cuts to uh, Alfie actually joining up and having their attestation ceremony. Uh, and he's given his warrant card, which quickly then moves into a street com confrontation with somebody challenging him about his warrant card. And then, then it goes through tracking his, um, his early... Uh, period within the police and the sort of challenges of uh, working night shifts and being disturbed on nights, uh, dealing with vulnerability. There's a scene where he finds a, a missing person in a garage. Uh, we also, he's, he's subject to an assault as well. Um, and also about the relationship that he has with the tutor constable. And I think that the overall, overall sort of messaging that he gives is that it's a great, great career. And the tutor constables are really shining example. Uh, she's called Janie. Is a shining example of actually with good support uh, and a good wraparound team and some professionalism that actually is, it is a is, it is a great career. And uh, towards the end of the the film, it's only a short film. Uh, he starts to uh, get clear in his mind what his purpose is within the the service and starts to deal with some of the things mm. that have cast cast doubt on his career choice it must be said halfway through so he's he's had a period where he's probably thinking is this what i was expecting the job to be and i think at the end he sort of realizes that actually these are just barriers that he needs to get over and with the, the good support uh, specifically from his tutor that he gets he, he comes up he comes he comes over it so very powerful very powerful mm. film i uh, think i think so i mean i think the it really demonstrates, I think there'll be loads of people who will resonate with it, that, that transition really from coming in to the force and thinking about it in, or, or experiencing it or what you, you know, imagine you might experience into dealing with the reality of it, coming to terms with it with the right support and then coming out the other side and actually, you know, you can see he's, he's more confident at the end of the film and at the beginning is really not sure. It's no, a real no. kind of lack of identity, I think. Uh, we we have the metaphor of the dripping tap running running through it as well, which uh, uh, not only is Alfred dealing with his uh, new job in the police, he's, he's also uh, just just got married, just moved house, just had a child, mm. um, and, and all, all the challenges that they uh, bring. So on top of his uh, work related uh, issues, he has he has things to deal with at home as well. So 
and the dripping taps something that we use quite a lot where it's just not any one big incident that can uh, that can catch you out it's a, a lot of little things that can catch you out as well and then coupled up with sleep deprivation or fatigue and things like that or it not going too well at work you know that they can really catch out and then, and then we sort of introduce you know resilience and, um, and social support and things like that uh, recognizing trauma and stress and things like that so I think I think it's a re- it's a really it's a really and I, I think it's pretty typical actually. I know I know we throw a lot at the character, but um, we do that really to make sure that we don't miss anything and it's realistic. So uh, you know, there's bits of social media in there and all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, th- I think we have it down as a huge success. That in, um, I think everybody that's actually seen the film. And we've done discussion groups after it. They've been really taken back with it, and and said, "Oh, you know, the officers and staff that have seen it have said, oh, yeah, it's just just what just what I felt like.' Or yeah. particular scenes in it were, were just like what I felt like. So yeah, it's been it's been pretty good. Mm. Yeah, and I think it actually it's probably well, it's the first time I've seen something which is is representative. It it doesn't shy away from actually demonstrating the reality of the job and, and I know it's based on experiences isn't it real life experiences that officers have had as well yeah 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 it, it we we sort of um well we didn't the, the director we give him free reign really and said you know it, it, speak to who you wish and it's sort of um, almost a compendium of uh, experiences that he's had related to him and I must admit he's He's sewn them all together fantastically. It really is, really is good. And every time I watch it, I'd spot something different. Uh, yeah, and I, th- I think that's the thing. I know from, obviously I've been doing the wraparound kind of pre- presenting of it, I suppose, the position of it. And and every time I watch it, I think, oh, something else there, something else. Yeah. I could literally yeah. talk about it for like an hour around yeah. the film as to what's in it. And, but I think that's why it's so kind of powerful because it's very, it's very meaty in that everything that is in there I, you know, at, at Fortis, we see that all the time in the work that we do, you know, in those conversations and those experiences. And and the fact that you've, it's that recognition of the support mechanism that needs to be around people, needs yeah. to be, it needs to be, I don't know, there's an acknowledgement that actually that needs to be there. And, you know, supervisors need to be able to pick yeah. up those signs and understand what they're looking for and, and all of that kind of thing as well. Yeah, I think I think one of the things that Director direct Chris Godwin it captured it that well. Um, when we watched it, we sort of we we all looked around the room when we first saw it and thought, oh, uh, we need an extra piece of wrap round here. And that, obviously, that's why we approached Fortis for, for yourselves to just give us a bit more around um, a wrap round around what might be going on in people's heads as they watch it and how they might yeah. be feeling about things and how to deal with them. So the, the film actually even sparked ourselves to think further about what, what more support could we put for our officers and staff who were, who, who were just exposed to the film, really, mm-hmm. that may have different memories flooding back and how they dealt with them. So, I mean, uh, you guys have done a great job with doing that work for us as well. Mm-hmm. Well, it's been a pleasure to be a part of it, to be honest. Um, I mean, I think I was just thinking as you were saying that the amount of work you've actually covered in the in the years that you've been running this service, and I know you've got a lot of people that you've brought in as experts who are just as passionate about this as you are. There's been a massive, um, massive amounts of progress being made, isn't there, in in what you're offering, the information that you research, the picking up on um, 
the themes that are relevant and, and are current as well, because I think that's the other thing. Yeah. Um, and I mean, you must be really proud of what, what you've achieved as a service. Yeah, um, we, we, we've not we've not done everything we've had a few hiccups and we've not we've not done everything that we'd we'd like to have done but i mean we we, we are constrained by budget it's like like everybody else's but i think the subject people feel sufficiently passionate about the subject that, that i'm not saying people will help for nothing but you you can engage with lots of um academic partners who are more than willing we i think we engage at the moment something it's, it's getting up around 20 something professors that we engage with that do uh, work in collaboration with us now mm. uh, around the country in different areas and, and in fact overseas as well we've got we've got two relationships with um, uh, american universities that, that we look at the sleep uh, uh, studies with i'm sure yvonne's mentioned them yeah um and, and relationships like that so we look for like um centers of excellence for things and then partner up with them which seems to work really well and i think because People feel sufficiently passionate about well-being. They they offer lots of good stuff up for it, mm. uh, which is really helpful, and it helps us to progress the um, evidence base as well, which is really important. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So that's almost systemic working, isn't it? And in, in being quite strategic about those partners and how they feed in. And you're right. I think everybody who works in this field, it's 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 a vocation. It's something that you're yeah. in it for. You're in it for a reason. <laughs> It's, it's analogous with policing itself, really, because if you, if you look at like the, the role of policing, it's not it's not great pay, is it? In any any <laughs> world at all, so, you know, you not you would like to think nobody's doing it for the money solely for the money. Mm. You like to think that, uh, and I mean, we, we hark back again to meaning and purpose. People that want to do things where they feel like they're serving or protecting, as as the, the Americans uh, use as, as their sort of strap line. But the uh, like, so they're doing some good for society, and I think uh, what you, what you, we can do if we're not careful is that 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 meaning and purpose can wane uh, if 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 it's not managed carefully, or it, it, certainly if it's not supported. Uh, so I think it's uh, it's incumbent on us to make sure that we keep that meaning and purpose with people as, as best we can. I mean, we're not, we're not the sole providers, of course, but as best we can, where we we support people. And, and then support the people that support them as well. So I mentioned the covenant and the families before, you know, about looking at how we you know, look after families, what sort of information we can give to families, what sort of things that people should and should not disclose to the family members, you know, things that are upsetting nature, for example. Uh, but but you need an outlet for them as well. So, you know, where do I go to if I don't go to my, my family? Yeah. What's, what's the outlet for that? So you know these things you have to you have to think about carefully mm, definitely well it's been fantastic to talk to you it's been really interesting you know the more i talk to to all of you who are coming from the from the national police wellbeing service i, I really um i don't know i just feel incredibly proud to be part of what you're doing but also really um full of admiration in the way that you're approaching it because i know this has been it's a bit of a labor of love as well and as you said you know it isn't always about getting it right but you learn from that don't you and, and then put things in place that that are effective and i know that from the work i'm doing in in policing that the conversation around the national peace wellbeing service and oscar kilo there's that the awareness is there and people are, are aware that that support is available and that information so it's definitely having the impact that you wanted yeah Oh, and hopefully it'll uh, continue to have the impact as we, we sort of embark on our new work now in supporting 
new new officers uh, to join and supporting mm -hmm. officers are coming to the end to leave or officers are in the middle that are having a break or looking at different career paths. I mean, we must support them because that's what makes the service so attractive. You can't have something that you, you basically can't get out of. So, you know, right. need to look at things um, probably through a different lens as, as society progresses. You know, we look at things where officers and staff members might just wish to be with us for five or six years and, and then go and do something else. And then we make it easy for them to return to it, should mm -hmm. they, they wish to do so, and sort of initiatives like that. So we've just done a... Um, a special issue actually of um, of the policing journal where we've looked at the state of well-being uh, and we've got contributions from all over the place around various aspects some are looking at um what happened during covid to officers and staff looking at vulnerability looking at units that are particularly vulnerable uh, we've got um, a, a piece looking at the um uh, ther therapy dogs service dogs with the impact that they have um and, and things like that so you know we we are constantly looking for new ways of communicating and engaging with the, the people that we're looking after. So yeah. uh, that, that seems to serve as well as an approach anyway. Yeah, definitely. And I think that engagement, I always think it's never one size fits all. You need all these different facets to be able to encourage people to step forward and, and to, you know, say if they're struggling, but also to know what they can do to help themselves if they're recognising those triggers or they're starting to go down a certain route where maybe have been before and I think that flexibility within the career as well all of those things just make such a difference to how you approach the job I think yeah definitely definitely I mean um, I mean it's an evolving career isn't it what I experienced as an officer is certainly not what um, people joining now would and, and probably no. what the next generation will you know we're moving into more into like cyber and things like that we we used to have the um, pro problem oriented triangle I think it, we, we call that triangle analysis triangle that was it and it said it looked at place offender and uh, offense and things like that and you you piece together your uh, jigsaw in that respect well um on occasion now you haven't got data on any of those three things it's just happening in the ether mm. and then you you're looking at who who's the offender who, who's the victim and where, where has it taken place and yeah. there's clearly, clearly crimes happening on screen but you haven't got any of that information at the, the offset, and that can be incredibly stressful as well. And these are the sort of challenges that officers are now facing. And of course, uh, we got the war in Ukraine, and then uh, the aftermath of COVID as well. You know, there's some some big challenges ahead. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a that that's the I suppose as the as the force evolves and as these different aspects of society evolve, it's important that the service, the wellbeing service, evolves alongside it to meet those needs. Mm. So thank, thanks Ian, thanks ever so much for talking to me, it's been fabulous and okay. uh, <laughs> I know I'll speak to you at some point off, off the podcast. Um, so thanks very much for joining me and I really appreciate you taking the time out to speak to me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Keeping the Peace podcast. It's available wherever you listen to your podcasts and if you subscribe, you'll be notified of the next episode as soon as it's available. We'd love to hear your feedback and ideas for future podcasts, so please do comment or get in touch on our social media platforms for either Fortis Therapy and Training or Oscar Kilo.